Bring It On is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. Once again, to bring it on, a multiple award-winning program, and for more than 12 years, we remain Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting the African-American community. Good evening. I'm Leela Randall. Also, in today's broadcast, we'll catch up with our regional Bring It On correspondent, Eric Love, to get his impression on the latest tweet storm from our 50. 45th President Donald Trump, all in the next hour on Bring It On. But first, the city of Kokomo is the county seat of Howard County. It is Indiana's 13th largest city. Historians note that the city is named for a Miami Indian, Makokomo, who was called Chief Kokomo. The city later became known as the city of first, in large part due to the natural gas boom it enjoyed in the late 1800s. David Foster hails as the founder of Kokomo. We're privileged to have Kokomo Mayor Greg Goodnight with us by phone to discuss a variety of topics related to the changing demographics and industry related to Kokomo. One topical question that we hope to explore is how the racial landscape of the city and the opportunities that present themselves far for an aspiring individual. With that, good evening, Mayor Goodnight. Leela, thank you very much for having me on your show. Oh, thank you for um, coming and talking talking to us for a while. I know we had a really good conversation in, in my car, and I want the listeners to know, yes, I am a driver for both of the, actually, think, um, taxi services here in, uh, in, the, in um, Bloomington. And I was um, very surprised, but um, had a very interesting conversation with what I soon discovered halfway through the conversation was the mayor of Kokomo. <laughs> yeah, I, I, my wife and I, uh, of course, uh, she is an IU Bloomington uh, grad and an IU um, Bloomington Law grad. So uh, my son's uh, down there for his senior year this year. Uh, and uh, so we, we frequent uh, Bloomington, Indiana quite a bit. So three, four times a year we'll be down there. So uh, we really, it, it was uh, an interesting conversation, and, and, and my wife and I both enjoyed it. So thank you. Okay. So, Mayor, good night. This is William Hosea. How are you? I am doing great, William. How are you? Not bad for my age. Thank you for asking. <laughs> hey, so now you, you realize, of course, this means the word is out. The mayor of Kokomo uses uber <laughs> <laughs> well i did that day i i uh every now and then i will so uh if uh i just sometimes i'll catch a ride with somebody if i'm down there i have a few friends down in Bloomington. see i didn't even say uber i just said one of the services that are provided down here and he's he's the one that outed you so um, i hope you don't hold that against me that's all right. Well, yeah, you picked them up. <laughs> but anyway, uh, Mayor, so what are you, just getting started, what do you want us to know about the great city of Kokomo, Indiana? Well, your description at the beginning of the show was, was uh, told a lot about our history. Kokomo is a city of about 58,000 people. It is the county seat of Howard County, which is about 83,000 people. Um, geographically, for those that uh, uh, haven't been here, it's really about 45 minutes just directly north of Indianapolis 
Um, so uh, we're very close to the northern suburbs of Indianapolis, of uh, Fishers and Westfield and Carmel in that area. And um, so uh, we have an IU uh, regional campus here that uh, I think it has somewhere around uh, 4,000 students, some part-time, some full-time. Uh, they did just this fall had their, uh, they were the, they had the largest increase of all of IU's campuses. So it's really a growing campus up here, and they've added, uh, over the last few years, added sports and things. So it's a, it's a big part of our community, the, the, uh, the IU Kokomo uh, campus. Um, our largest employers uh, are uh, predominantly tied to the automotive industry. Chrysler is the largest employer. Uh, Delphi Safety and Electronics uh, still has about 1,300 employees. And General Motors has uh, 700 or so employees, and then we have some other large manufacturers as well. We have two uh, large hospitals, uh, also one tied to the St. Vincent uh, network and one to the community network out of Indianapolis. So that's kind of the landscape uh, of the city. And, and I'm in my personally, I'm in my tenth year as mayor. So I was elected uh, for the first uh, time in, in uh, 2007. Yeah, two, yes, 2007, 11, and 15, uh, 2011, 2015, I was reelected. Okay. So what has, I, I was reading something about in, two, in 2008, Forbes listed Kokomo as one of the, like, dying cities, you know. And since you've been there, can you tell us a little bit, bit how you've changed that dying um, sentiment around to something great? Well, we have. Uh, and unfortunately, when I came into office, was right at the beginning of the uh, the Great Recession. Uh, the automotive industry was in uh, the American automotive industry was in disarray. Um, the uh, housing markets had collapsed. The financial markets had collapsed. And uh, even though it's been a few years, I remember it uh, very, very well. And uh, Kokomo was really not in a strong position to weather. A, uh, a deep, long recession. So we had to really change how we operated as a local government. And uh, so I've been, uh, had, you know, we had to get our finances in order first. And so we've tried to what we call right-size city government, um, invest in, in while, well, you know, cutting things that uh, where we can, but also strategically investing uh, our limited tax dollars. So we've really focused us on quality of place. If, if you read what economists say, 70% uh, of jobs are tied to where people live. Um, so having a strong uh, group of residents uh, where they spend their paychecks, uh, is 70% of it is spent locally, uh, whether they, where they have their teeth cleaned, other health services, where they purchase uh, insurance, where uh, contractors that may come to fix their furnace or do those things, work on their car. Um, so it was really important for us to focus on quality of place uh, to make sure we were the, you know, the best community to live in and uh, we could keep the, those, uh, the, you know, get people to live here and, then, and, and obviously uh, keep their paychecks here as well. Now, Mayor, if you listen to our intro, you probably heard that we explore people, issues, and events impacting the African-American community here in Bloomington. Yes. Um, and, and in Bloomington, the uh, black community is about 3% of the population. So what, what are the demographics like in Kokomo? 
Kokomo, it's about 13% of the uh, population is uh, African-American, less, right around 1% uh, uh, Hispanic, and between 1% and 2% uh, Asian. And uh, so, uh, and then everything else is uh, pretty much Caucasian. Uh, So we have about 13% in the city, Um, and if uh, our if you look at some of the things we've done, as we have really focused, especially in the last four or five years, in what I call the older neighborhoods of the, of the city. Anytime uh, we have an economic development opportunity, how do we leverage uh, that, uh, that new investment and put it in an area that maybe has not seen uh, any investment in quite a few years? Um, one of the things we're very proud of is uh, that we've able, been able to add since uh, I became mayor, and, we, and I think we're in our sixth year now. We were one of the largest cities that did not have a public transportation system, a, uh, a fixed-route bus system. And we uh, instituted that here in the city of Kokomo, and I'm proud to say not only is it the uh, most efficient in the state, our cost per ride is, is the is is, uh, is is the most efficient in the state, and actually, even our our numbers show that Bloomington's the second most efficient. Uh, but yeah. it's free to the rider, and so we're very proud of that. Our our wow. our bus system is hop on, hop off, uh, no coins, uh, no tickets or anything to get on. It's just free to the rider, uh, hop on, hop off, Monday through Friday, and we run it for uh, 12 hours a day. Uh, Monday through Friday, and we're very proud of that. And, and the idea being that uh, people, you know, who maybe uh, you know are still facing some difficult times, don't have a lot of disposable income. The mindset is that this allows them to spend their limited funds on other mm-hmm. other things instead of their individual transportation. Now, Leela's going to ask you how you finance that, but before she I does, asked him that I, in the car. I have another question. I, asked, I already asked him that in the car. Is that right? Yes, I okay. did. Did I, okay. Mayor? I did. <laughs> okay, but we, our funding is the same as as every uh, you know. We're our our uh, MPO Metropolitan Planning Organization in Bloomington would be part of one as well. And, and so uh, I think there are fourteen uh, cities that have fixed route systems in the state, and uh, we use our dollars. It's, it's basically an eighty twenty federal match, eighty percent federal, twenty percent local, and uh, you know the, it's also there's a reason we don't. Uh, we don't charge or, you know, you know, my, I've had people, and I don't know if we can do that forever, but we've done it for the first six years, but, you know, we don't charge people to walk on the sidewalks. We don't charge individual cars to drive down streets. We don't charge kids to play on the playground. And so to me, it's just something that we should be offering. And, um, so, uh, you know, and then, and then it also, it also keeps the buses on time. You know, there's no, you know, to just hop on, hop off. People don't have to fumble for change. Uh, we don't have to have people, uh, you know, worried about uh, people trying to, uh, you know, to, to take money from the buses or, or the or the you know drivers spending all their time trying to 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 work out uh, the logistics tied to that. So it just frees them up to focus on driving uh, our our passengers safely. Okay. I wanted to ask you about uh, your neighborhood urban infill program and how it's supposed to enhance and revitalize the value and appeal of uh, Kokomo's existing neighborhoods. So I I really had just two questions about that. Number one, are those low-income neighborhoods? And number two, um, is there an affordable housing element in that program? 
Well, we've been uh, two different questions. I'm gonna, let me ask, answer the affordable housing uh, first. We have, um, since I've been in, in office, we have uh, three um, uh, affordable housing apartment complexes that we've uh, developed and we're going to apply this year to try to get another one next year. Two of those are for low to moderate income family housing, one for uh, low income senior housing. And each one of those, uh, now there, there's some rules uh, with those that you can't have them in the same census track. So there, you know, just think of, uh, you know, the Census Bureau divides our city into certain areas. So you could actually be fairly close to each other as long as it's in a different census track. But we've, uh, we've have one on the north side we, that we uh, help partner with and, and uh um, and it's the Kingston Apartments uh, on the north side of town. We just opened one this spring, and that's a family housing. Uh, we did one with the TWG group out of uh, Indianapolis for another uh, family housing project. And, and then a few years ago, we worked with a company called Miller Valentine out of Cincinnati to do a senior housing project. All of those, uh, especially the last two, were really tied close to our urban area, our town, our downtown. Um, and if you went by and looked at them, they, I think they're quality structures, quality uh, places, and uh, we, you know, we try to keep them close to the downtown, close to amenities, library, bus station, those things. But within, uh, you know, we want we don't want it, we don't want to uh, we want it more integrated with some of the uh, uh, more upscale apartments and things as well. So we try to keep everything, a little bit of everything, in these areas so that it's, there's some diversity there. Okay, um, you told us oh, about, oh, are you going to finish the second one now? Yeah. Okay, finish yeah, the second yeah, one. About the urban infilling. Uh, this is a new step. We had to do a little research on how we do this. And what this is, is we have, a, like a lot of older cities, we have some sprink, uh, lots sprinkled out throughout the city. And um, so we're just really getting this program going. The council has agreed to uh, put about $1.6 million into the program. Uh, the way this will work is we've put the first two out for bid, uh, we bid with uh, anybody could bid. Hopefully, uh, I think it was awarded, or maybe I know there were a few local home builders that, that bid on it. Um, but we can't keep somebody from a, a adjacent county to, uh, from bidding on it. Um, but anyways, they uh, the program is we're going to build some infilling homes, make them conducive to the neighborhood uh, in which they live. We know we're going to probably not get uh, the full amount back. Uh, we, we may take a little bit of a loss. But we're starting, the first two neighborhoods we're starting in, um, uh, there'll probably be five or six in each one that will help stabilize those neighborhoods, some older neighborhoods. Uh, but our goal is that if, you know, just say if we lose uh, an average of $20,000 per home, we build, we build these for 160 and they only sell for 140 uh, we can do about 80 homes throughout the community. So we're going to start in one area. We want to do them in clusters. We don't want just one house on one here and one a mile down the road. So we're going to do uh, six or seven in, in clusters in different neighborhoods. Uh, but we think we can make our way through uh, pretty much the entire community. And uh, they're going to be quality homes. These aren't going to be uh, track housing or modular yeah. homes. These are going to be custom-made, but to look uh, and fit as, as, as they would in the older neighborhoods, front porches, uh, garages uh, along the alley, things like that. Yeah. 
Okay. It's impressive. Okay. Well, you told us about the bus system that you got going because, uh, like I said, when I was talking to you, I, I remember my girlfriend when we talked back in the day, um, she said, we don't have buses. So when you told me that you had buses, the first thing I did was like text her and said, you guys got buses and you didn't tell me that. She said, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we finally got some. So, um, <laughs> so I mean, that was my claim to fame that I would always talk about Coco. I said, they don't even have no buses. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, information travels slowly sometimes. <laughs> well, you know, she's out on the East Coast now, but she said, yeah, we do. So tell us about some of the other um, things that you've brought to Coco since you've been a mayor there? Well, one of the biggest things we've, we've tried to do is to make our city more pedestrian-friendly. As you probably are aware, um, our state always uh, ranks in, in the top nine or ten worst states for healthy outcomes, and that, um, you know, some of that are uh, preventable diseases, uh, diabetes, and some heart disease. Some of it, uh, obviously, um, tied to, to uh, dietary needs, things like that, but one of the biggest factors in, in people's health is the built environment in which they live. And the more people are dependent on cars and automobiles to get to uh, just to get to a grocery store or get to a pharmacy, uh, and, and the more time they spend in a car and the less time they spend walking uh, makes for a un, more unhealthy community. So we have focused uh, extensively, and I think we have a beautiful downtown. We started by going to... Some of these things are, are kind of uh, boilerplate decisions to make uh, your city more pedestrian-friendly. So we started with taking out all of the one-way streets in downtown Kokomo, went to all two-way streets. I took out uh, all but one traffic signal in downtown Kokomo uh, and went to four-way stops, which slows cars down, makes it safer for people to try to uh, that are trying to uh, walk. So think of an elderly person, if cars are flying by where they feel unsafe. So we try to make uh, our streets conducive for, for pedestrian activity. We planted, uh, we've planted hundreds, if not over a thousand uh, street trees in the last three or four years uh, to provide shade and, and to uh, provide a little protection between the, uh, the street and the sidewalk uh, and, and with nice plantings and, and things like that. And it's paid off. A lot of our most recent investments have been in the downtown area. So we, that's one thing we're trying to do is make our community healthier. But, to, you know, telling people to exercise, it's been proven, just telling people to exercise doesn't work. You have to build an environment that makes it attractive for people to, and, and makes it uh, exciting and, and, and comfortable for them to go out and walk. So that's probably been the biggest change is working on that connectivity uh, of the of, uh, of, of you know, where we had thoroughfares, we've taken some thoroughfares that were four lanes wide and narrowed them down to maybe uh, three lanes with a parking lane. And, and that, having been down in Bloomington, think of, uh, I think it's college, uh, where they've done some, uh, narrowed the roads a little bit down by where the, uh, where the chocolate moose and those places are. They've done some things like that. We've tried to do similar projects here. Well, so no one-way streets. Done. One stoplight. Yeah, you kind of taking us back in time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, the whole idea. Think about it. Most people, when they see, especially on a one-way street, or even on a two-way street, when you see a string of green lights, it, we're all programmed to do this. We all speed up. Got to catch them. Uh, that's right. And then, and then it makes our, our it makes it unsafe for pedestrians. More likely to have an accident or call, you know or keeps people from getting out and walking so we the whole idea is not to eliminate the car 
uh, but but what we want to do is is make it a, you know kind of a level the playing field for bicyclists and for pedestrians. So um, and then you have to remember there's a huge energy savings and cost savings for taking out traffic lights. Um, you don't have yeah. costs. You don't have the routine maintenance. You don't have the uh, maintenance costs that come when uh, you have a power outage or an accident where you have to bring in crews on overtime to put in temporary stops because the traffic signals aren't working properly. So uh, by taking out, we've taken out citywide over a third of the traffic lights in Kokomo, and uh, just in the last probably four or five years. Okay, and uh, we're adding traffic lights down here in Bloomington. <laughs> well, there's a pl- there's a time and a place for everything. Right. Think right. of think of like Kirkwood, how there's uh, where you have multiple four way stops. We've tried to uh, probably that's the closest comparison I could give you right uh, right right now to what we've tried to do is try to do something similar mm-hmm. to Kirkwood, where you have you know kind of slows people down. Of course, that's a very pedestrian friendly area right there in downtown Bloomington. I also read. Um, back on the 13th of September that you joined a bunch of mayors from around Indiana to take part in a climate leadership summit in in Indianapolis. So what can uh, mayors and and cities do in in this whole debate about climate change? Well, uh, that's a great, uh, in fact, uh, I was I was down there with actually Bloomington's mayor John Hamilton was part of that uh, day and this was the second year that I participated in that. Um, there's two things we're trying to do. Uh, obviously, uh, work on our um, and reduce our energy consumption and work on things to uh, reduce our carbon footprint. So things like making our cities more bicycle friendly, more pedestrian friendly, even using public transportation uh, uses less. You know, that's if 30 people use public transportation, that's 30 less cars uh, that, that would be on the road at the same time. So all those things, we're trying to create ways to make that uh, the easy thing to do. Uh, but the second part is trying to prepare for what's coming. Uh, you know, as I try to, when I talk about climate change, um, you know, we could spend all day, you know, arguing, if people want to argue what the causes are for climate change, whether it's man-made or it's just happening naturally, and I try to remind them, it, I don't think it really matters uh, what we could argue how we got here, but what we really need to do is prepare. So um, a lot of the things we're trying to do is eliminate things that absorb heat. So uh, we've put in a lot of uh, islands in our city. Uh, that, uh, you know, where we had large thoroughfares back in, in some of the industrial corridors, we've taken out some of the asphalt and replaced it with islands, with trees and grass, uh, something that will uh, not absorb heat, but actually absorb water, too, when we have heavy rainfalls. That takes a little strain off of our uh, sewer system. And so those are the things we're working on on a regular basis, uh, trying to uh, become more energy efficient, um, taking out some of the stoplights, all those things to reduce our costs that we're spending on energy and then try to work on being as, as prepared as we can as uh, global temperatures rise uh, incrementally. Okay. Um, you told us about what you've done. What are your plans for the future? Um, you know, uh, that's a good question. I, I'm, I'm 52. I'm in my third term, and uh, I still have two years left in this term. Uh, I don't you know, I, I, 
I, if I had to make a decision today whether I was going to run again, the answer would be yes. But I, I really don't have to make that decision for another year. And I, you know, so in a year I'll talk it over with my wife and see if she's up for, a, um, for another run. It's, it's interesting. Kokomo politically is not a democratic city. My politics is Democrat, but it's what would you would call a 50-50 city. And so, um, you know, it just depends on you know what the climate is for you know in politics, um, whether it's uh, you know whether I. I I'm still energized and excited about it, so I'll just kind of take that temperature next year and, and decide uh, what you know if I if if I'm up for it and if she's up for uh, running again. And uh, so right now, I really in the next year, I've I've got about 15 things I want to do, uh, and I want to see them uh, implemented and finished. And and then I'll just kind of take a take a breath in about a year and just kind of make that that long-term decision. Uh, Mayor, I, I belong to an organization here in uh, Bloomington, uh, and and what we try to do is uh, recruit African Americans to be more involved in local politics, and we also try and uh, uh, recruit people to run for office. Um, is there a similar organization there in Kokomo, and uh, also how involved uh, are African Americans in the political uh, process there in Kokomo? Well, I think I, I would say the most active uh, group to, uh, for recruiting African Americans is the Democratic Party here in Howard County, and I don't say that uh, facetiously. Uh, our city, in fact, our city council is meeting tonight. I'm, uh, I'm up in my office uh, having this interview. They're down on the first floor for the city council meeting. Our city council president is African American. Uh, we also have, uh, and we have, uh, and he, uh, Councilman Bob Hayes, uh, as, a, as a male council member. We also have a female African American, and uh, Janie Young. She uh, represents the third district, and she is the first female African American uh, council member to serve Kokomo. And she is in her, I think she's in her third term. And uh, and we also have an African American that serves on the county council as well. So. Um, Growing up here, we've uh, I can uh, we've had a lot of uh, uh, African Americans that have taken leadership roles uh, uh, and held different city council positions in the past. Um, so yeah, we our our ticket uh, usually each fall when you look at the the Democratic uh, Party's ticket, it's pretty diverse and there's um, um, it's not I mean it's 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 not it's hard to recruit people to run for office anywhere these days because it's, yeah. up, it, it's brutal out there with social media and things. But um, we've had a, a, a strong group of candidates uh, each cycle in the last five, six years. So you may not have a need for that uh, type of organization here in Kokomo if, uh, if uh, African Americans are already actively involved. It really helps having um, su- uh, successful... Uh, Councilman Hayes has been uh, I think he took a break for a short, maybe one mm-hmm. term, but he has been a, he's probably been elected, uh, and he ran, he ran a large, so he was elected l- the last two times as a council member at large, uh, meaning he runs citywide, uh, and, and he was prior to that, he was a district council member. So um, I th- it does help having successful African American leaders that not only are successful at their jobs, but are access- uh, successful at winning campaigns. It does help with recruitment. 
Many people that are listening are probably wondering why would we have a mayor from Kokomo speak to us here in Bloomington, but I'm sure there are similarities and you do have relationships with people down here. Can you explain why I would feel the need to have you come and talk, even though you're you know, I think you've done some wonderful things. No, thank you. Well, I think it. Well, one thing I, I feel it is my job, and I know I've talked with with Mayor Hamilton and, and other mayors as well. And it is our job to to know about what is going on in in other cities and communities. It it is it is my responsibility to uh, look at best practices, whether they be in Fort Wayne, Bloomington, Gary, Evansville, Columbus, Terre Haute, uh, wherever it may be, and find out what what other cities are doing, how they operate, make those comparisons. It's, it's no different than if you're in a, the restaurant business, you should be paying attention to what uh, other restaurants are doing, what their price points are, what their hours are, what they're serving, what new trends are taking place in that industry, or whether you're in the banking industry or, or any type of industry. And I think it's the same for local government. I also think it's, it's um, for us, I think, uh, or for your listeners, I think it's important that they know, uh, know you know, know what's going on in, in the rest of the state and, and the cha- I can tell you the challenges that are facing Bloomington are very similar to the problems that are facing Kokomo and that are facing Noblesville and, and places like that. We all have uh, you know a limited amount of funds. How do we you know manage and, and take care of the basics, making sure streets are plowed and trash gets picked up and all those things, but also trying to make uh, you know pro- uh, progress uh, progress forward in making our cities better. So um, I think it's important that for, uh, I think, it, I, I wish more people in Kokomo took the time to learn about Bloomington and and, and, uh, and other cities of our size and did the comparisons. And I think they would be, uh, they'd have a better idea of, 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 of the nice things that we have. Um, okay, Mayor, I'm going to have to put you on the spot here. Okay. <laughs> when... <laughs> When you come down to Bloomington and you get to enjoy uh, some of the activities we have to offer, you know the mayor. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you've uh, patronized some of the businesses here. Uh, you probably know your way around Bloomington pretty well. Is there anything that you see here that you would like to take back and to Kokomo? Um, yeah, there's a lot. Of, oh, I think there's a lot of good things going on. Uh, you know, as I look, you know, Bloomington's population is very dense, uh, which is good, and there's uh, a lot of vibrancy and, and some of those things. And I think we have that on on maybe a smaller scale here. Uh, obviously, we don't have quite the college uh, connection. One thing we have done, and our chancellor here at our at our Indiana University campus, the biggest thing is uh, as I get to other cities, and, and I'll use Terre Haute and and maybe Muncie, where Ball State University is located in Terre Haute because of Indiana State. Uh, Bloomington's campus is connected right to the, to the downtown. It is, um, it's almost more than adjacent. It is, it is almost in, you know, part of the downtown. And so that makes it nice. You could, when you're in Bloomington, you don't, you, know, you don't feel like there's a separate world uh, or a separate society over in camp, uh, on campus. So we've worked on that here with uh, Indiana University Kokomo. They have their sports programs. Their baseball team will play in, in our new uh, downtown baseball stadium. Uh, it's just three years old. It's a top-notch facility. Uh, they now play, this year they added women's tennis. They play downtown in, in the Foster Park. Uh, tennis courts, and we've revamped them to to make them personalized for uh, Indiana University Kokomo, and then they play their uh, uh, 
collegiate, uh, you know, they have a men's basketball, women's basketball, women's volleyball. They play all those in the downtown. And so we're really trying to get those young students more into the older part of the city. And uh, that's one thing I think Bloomington's done better than probably uh, anybody in, in the state. Okay. Well, it's almost time, unfortunately, to um, wrap up this interview. So is there any other thing that you would like our Bloomington listeners to know about Kokomo? Yeah, I would just, well, first of all, thank you very much for having me, and I really appreciate this opportunity. One of the best parts of the job is I get to tell Kokomo's story, and I appreciate you taking the time to, to, to listen and, and, and ask some really good questions. I would ask them that uh, to come visit us. You know, it's, it's fun, it's interesting to take day trips and get to know other cities in the state. So you know, that would be my ask is to, you know, sometime just you know, look at the, get on the city's visitors bureau or something, find an activity, come up, spend a day. You know, there are a lot of cities our size you can spend a, a quality day or two and learn about those communities. And we have a lot of bike trails, and so if you want to bring your bicycles, bring your bicycles. Well, uh, Mayor, if you if you want to send one of those free buses down here, I'm on my way. <laughs> You know what? I might I, I I might try making contact with you when I'm coming down, and maybe I'll figure out. Maybe I'll I'll make sure I leave space, and I'll bring you back up. How's that? That sounds like a winner. Well, you can always call, you can always like call me and let me know, and I will gladly be your Uber service. Okay. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank okay. you. Uh-huh. We want to thank Kokomo Mayor Greg Goodnight for joining us this evening to discuss a host of topics concerning the past, present, and future of Kokomo, Indiana's 13th largest city. Bring It On has an open submission policy, so if you have an idea for this program, we would like to hear it. Please send your emails directly to our volunteer staff. The address is bringiton at wfhb.org. We want to make sure we share any and everything affecting the African-American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. That email address, once again, bringiton at wfhb.org. Support for WFHB comes from Limestone Post, an online culture and lifestyle magazine for Bloomington and beyond. Explore articles, photo essays, and videos on the arts, outdoors, local history, community events, and all the topics that make Bloomington such a great place to live. Limestone Post, writers with a voice, photographers with a vision, online at limestonepostmagazine.com. Support for WFHB also comes from Bloom Magazine. The new Bloom Magazine website features new stories posted every day, seven days a week. Find out more at magbloom.com.
just heard Waltz for Mikchek by the 25th Century Jazz Ensemble. This track is from the CD compilation project entitled WFHB's Local Live Remote Broadcasters, Volume 1. All songs on this project are 100% live. This is Bring It On, the People's Forum for Black Culture in South Central Indiana and beyond. Are you a tweeter? If so, you're invited to follow the WFHB News Twitter account. This is a great way to get breaking news and updates on what's going on behind the scenes and on the air with WFHB News. Go to Twitter.com and search for WFHB News. Or you can always visit our news website at WFHB.org news. To keep up with local news and find out what's happening behind the scenes at WFHB, you're invited to like the WFHB Facebook page. Go to Facebook.com and search for WFHB. Or you can always visit the WFHB news website at WFHB.org news. Bring It On is Indiana's only public affairs program dedicated to the African-American community here on WFHB 91.3 FM and live on the web at WFHB.org. For Bring It On, I'm William Hosea. And I'm Leela Randall. At the top of the hour, we shared that we would have invited regional Bring It On correspondent Eric Love to join us for an observation or two on our 45th president and his latest drama emanating from the District of Columbia. Eric, are you there? I'm here. How all right, all right. It's been a minute. How how have you been? Uh, things are going very well up here. I, I miss you all as always, but it's good to be on the show. The feeling is mutual. So let let me get right to it. Now, 45, as many people refer to him, has no idea that he waded into Eric Love's world when he started berating um, um, uh, certain athletes and just it, it seems like this guy just wants to to start a war on black people yeah <laughs> you know he's he's just being himself you know it, it's it's hard for me to <clears throat> if he's really that intentionally malicious or if he's just clueless in pandering to different audiences at different times but i think that when he's off you know, when he's off the teleprompter, that's the real him. Uh, so I, I think 45 is racist. You know, what, what gets me about some of this is uh, people actually give him credit for, for jumping around from, from one uh, group to another. Uh, what I mean by that is they gave him a lot of credit for making a deal with Pelosi and Schumer. Like it was some part of an intellectual strategy, right? <laughs> I think this guy was just scared to death because Robert Mueller is closing in on the truth. And so he wants to suck up the Democrats because Republicans will not protect him. And and then he goes to this uh, uh, campaign rally. He's apparently still running for president down in Alabama. And like you said, he just showed his true hair colors when he's down there. Yeah, yeah it, the rallies, I, I predicted that from the very beginning, he can't survive without the rallies. That's what gives him life. Um, he, he can't govern. He doesn't want to be president. He wants to right. be in perpetual campaign mode. Being president is hard. It takes discipline. You actually have to work. You have to focus. Um, you have to control your actions and your, your words. And all he wants to do is be in campaign mode. He wants the perks of being the president 
but he doesn't want the responsibility of being the president. Um, but here he is. That's why he will go down in his the worst president of all time. Yep. My opinion. <laughs> so now that more people are taking the knee, yeah. what do you think is going to happen now? Are people going to actually, and some, and the NFL um, owners. owners are saying they have the right to do it. What's going to happen to Colin, and what's going to happen to football as we know it? Well, hopefully, um, Colin will get a contract, but if he doesn't, he's okay. Like, he knew going into this last year that it, it you know, it could affect his football career. He's donated millions of dollars since he hasn't had a contract anyway, so he's set. He He's very intelligent, um, but he deserves a right to play. And I think uh, there's a few people that have um, really summed up the situation. <clears throat> the flag, the national anthem are symbols of freedom. They are powerful symbols, but they are only symbols of freedom. His right to protest is the actual freedom that the symbols stand for. And any time the, the symbol supersedes the actual freedom, then we're in trouble. Right? So he has a right to silently, quietly protest. Um, and initially he sat down. A veteran approached him and said, would you take a knee just to be respectful to veterans? He said, of course. That's when he started taking a knee, but nobody mentions that. Um, the, <clears throat> the other thing is that he's not protesting the flag. He's protesting police brutality and inequality and mistreatment. Um, and people are getting it all mixed up because they're so upset about a flag, which is a symbol. Um, you know, and I know it's powerful. I, I respect the flag, but I also respect our country, and I love our country enough to know that we need to fix it, um, especially when things are going right. Uh, and that's exactly what he's he's trying to do. So, it it's kind of a muddy situation now. I'm a little confused. Maybe y'all can can clear it up for me. So initially, I'm protesting the NFL because they didn't give Kaepernick a contract yeah so am i so am i yeah. i'm boycotting the nfl but you know eric i was uh on the way over here i was listening to the karen hunter show on uh, xm radio yeah a gentleman made a very good point he called in he made a very good point and he said that uh there are all kinds of people and businesses that use black athletes to advance their own interests and causes and but but the moment that this one black athlete wants to advance his cause, then he, he kind of uh, uh, draws the ire of the president. Uh, yeah. And people have gone from, you know, uh, complaining that he's protesting against the anthem to the flag and the military. Right. And I, I think it's absolutely ridiculous. I, I'm a veteran and I have, I'm not offended when Colin Kaepernick or anybody else takes a knee. Yes. And I'm not a veteran, but I'm the youngest of six kids. Four of my brothers are in the military. My father was in the military. Um, so I, I respect the military. And I would not have chosen to take a knee during the, the national anthem because I knew what kind of backlash it would have. But I respect the fact that that's what Colin wanted to do. That's how he used his, his platform. So I respect him. I support him. Um, 
and there's never should the symbol of freedom supersede the actual freedoms that we have. Um, and the other point that I wanted to make today is there there is no right way, according to 45 or the conservative political pundits, for people to protest. If you march in the streets, you're rioting. If you protest outside the White House, you're a mob. If you protest silently and take a knee, you know, you're a thug, you're, you should be... You're an SOB. You know, you're an SOB. Right. There's no, there is no way for you to protest, for us to protest, if they don't agree with what we're protesting. However, if white supremacists want to protest something, they're very fine people, even yeah. when other white Americans get killed. Right? So we fought World War II against the Nazis. These people subscribe to Nazi ideology, which is anti-American, but they're revered and respected. What is, is not anti-American, but definitely American, is definitively American, is protesting when something isn't right and making it better. Okay, well, we're still in sports, and Stephen Curry. So why is it a big deal when a black athlete doesn't want to come to the White House, but when a white athlete doesn't want to come to the White House and they actually golf with 45, it's not a big issue. What is happening here? Uh, it's called double standard racism. <laughs> Straight, I mean, to the point, right? Yeah. So, Eric, give me give me your best Eric Love analysis uh, on this one. Now, I listened to uh, Steve Mnuchin, Sarah Huckabee Sanders come out and try and defend this idiocy. But how I mean, what, what are your thoughts about how this guy um, attacks uh, Steph Curry, um, Colin Kaepernick? But then he has a totally opposite reaction, and you touched on this just a little bit, a totally opposite reaction to violent protests versus peaceful protests. Well, it's white violent protests. Yeah. Because if it was black violent protests, well, yeah. all over them. You know, see, he is absolutely racist. Period. 45, Donald Trump is racist. And there's... Everything he does shows that. He tells us who he is daily. Um, and as far as Steph Curry goes, uh, I think that LeBron summed it up great. It used to be an honor until he arrived. Now it's no longer. If I was invited to the White House, I wouldn't go either. Hey, don't, don't forget, you bum. <laughs> yes, right. And I've been to, I was at the White House under George W. George H.W. Bush and Barbara Bush gave me a tour of the White House. I was with a group of people, um, so it wasn't like one-on-one -on -one personal. But I did have a tour of the White House under W.H., um, you know, George, the, the father. And uh, Barbara Bush gave me the tour, and it was still an honor, even though that wasn't my political party. Right. Um, I would not go. I mean, <clears throat> Republicans just, you know. He's not Republican. He's just out for himself. Yeah, bottom line, he's stinking up the place. Oh. Yeah. 
Okay, you know what? Some people are going to say, you know what? Why are you saying that he's racist? Um, he's got Omarosa in the office, and there are other black people that follow him. God. He can't possibly be racist. So in what degree of racism are you specifically saying that he is? That's a good or question. Is, it, it is, is, you know, is, she, is he stereotyping blacks and saying that we're all bad? Or is he truly racist? And, and that definition of racism, I think racism gets thrown around way too much. And we really need to start saying what it really means and not just specifically for each individual situation. Right. So he has Omarosa or whoever and whoever else um, because he thinks they're exceptional. They think like he does, so they're exceptions. But he doesn't like black people generally. Um, he, can, he can like you as an individual. You know, he might like Kanye West or he might, you know, even respect a couple of people. Oh, he's a good guy. He, he gets good ratings. Let's invite him to the White House. It's, his motivations are infantile and juvenile. So we can't really get a good assessment of of what he's thinking because he he acts out so um, immaturely. His emotional intelligence is like zero. Well, uh, you know, I'm going to go out on a limb here because uh, being on public radio, and I'm going to answer Lilo's question um, it, it, about how could he be racist if he has these black people in the White House? Because that's like how people feel, you know. That's no, how. What he has is a handful of drive-by right. Negroes in the White House <laughs> with him. Who, ben Carson, Amarosa, Pastor Mark Burns. He, he, he wanted David Clark. And there may be a couple of others that, that I did not name. But these people are not representative of the black community. Yes, David Clark, by the way, is one of my least favorite people <laughs> on the planet. Yeah, mine too. But well, he, well he, he could get passed. They didn't. They they never gave him clearance, right? Yeah, he didn't get so that he, government he job. Uh, and they say that Amarosa's kind of on the way out too, you know, because she's been wanting to, you know, do. Yeah, General that. Kelly has been cleaning house since he uh, took over as chief of staff. Yeah. Okay, so we haven't talked about the person across the pond. Okay, what do you have to say about Kim Jong Un or whatever oh, his name oh. is, and their rhetoric back and forth, and are they going to start shooting down planes that are in the area, and what is going on with that craziness? How do you feel? Yeah, I, yeah well, <laughs> what I think we should do is go to the Thunderdome of <laughs> Young Un and 45 in the Thunderdome with one weapon each, Two jerks enter, one jerk leaves. Now, whoever wins, they don't win the other one's country. They just win their own personal battle and leave the countries out of it. Um, but that's that's what I'd like to do. Um, it is madness. It, millions and millions of people are at lives are at stake, and they're just you know <laughs> bickering, verbal bickering through Twitter about war, which there's no joke about it. And um, Trump avoided war when he had a chance to go to Vietnam or serve in the military. He avoided it. Five times. Yeah. So you know, he doesn't want war. If we want to go to war, send his family, send his kids. And uh, I said that his adult children should be the first six boots on the ground in, in the next war. But uh, on a more serious note, uh, I think for the first time in my adult life, I am honestly afraid of the uh, military prospects going forward because 
he's got this back and forth going with the guy from uh, North Korea. And then he just seems hell bent on antagonizing Iran and tearing up the deal that Obama uh, was able to put together. And so now Iran is testing uh, their ballistic missiles. And and if he keeps this up, it's just a matter of time, you know, before they start uh, uh, acquiring their nuclear capabilities again. Yeah, the good news is more and more people are talking about his mental illness, which whatever you you call it, um, yeah, he's he's mentally ill. He is so self-serving and so um, narcissistic that he will jeopardize our country for a personal grudge. Um, so yeah, I am I'm terrified of what's going to happen. Um, I'm hoping that somebody in the government, somebody in the Republican Party, will do something to stop his madness. There's, there's no need for a whole country to go down because he, we, you know, they elected somebody who has, was mentally ill. Well, as usual, they're silent again. Um, yep. A little bit too silent for comfort. And to go back to the, uh, the, the whole situation uh, with him and the black athletes, how many Republicans have you heard to step up and actually uh, condemn his remarks? Nobody. I None. haven't heard one. None. Not and, one. And that's part of the problem. So, Eric, I have one more question before you go because we've run out of time. What is the mood uh, at your campus about this whole uh, issue between the president and black athletes? Do you, do you have your finger on that? Um, I only, unfortunately, only from a, a few black athletes and young black males. Um, I haven't talked to you know, other colleagues or white colleagues about it, but over the weekend, um, you know, I've had some young men come over. First of all, Trump is so unpopular with them. They're, people are really furious with him. Um, they also think that he, he finally picked a fight with the wrong people, someone that's that will outdo him. <laughs> People who are more popular than he is. Yes. You know? okay. Yeah, so he's, um, like I said, he's, he's infantile, and uh, he doesn't really know what he's doing. Somehow he manages to, to survive and, and get out of scandal to scandal, but um, sooner or later his karma and all of his mess will catch up to him, and that'll be a day that I will celebrate. I cannot wait. Again, we want to thank our original Bring It On correspondent, Eric Love, for joining us for an observation or two or the Thunderdome on our 45th president and his latest drama emanating from the District of Columbia. <laughs> hey, Eric, take Pretty care. Awesome. It was good to talk to you, and we hope to talk to you again soon. All right. Thank you. Take care. Okay, if you have an event that you want us to know about, and if you have an opinion of current black issues, send your comments to Bring It On at WFHB.org. For Bring It On, I'm Leela Randall. I'm William Hosea. And uh, before we go any further, we need to mention that our board engineer, Jim Thrasher, is going to be leaving us to go on to bigger and better things. This is actually his last show. So, Jim, we want to say thank you for all the time that you put in and uh, all of our mistakes that you cleaned up after the fact. Thanks, Jim. 
Okay. You're listening to Bring It On, Indiana's only public affairs program dedicated to the African-American community here on WFHB 91.3 FM on your radio and live on the web at WFHB.org. We want to thank Kokomo Mayor Greg Goodnight for joining us this evening to discuss a host of topics concerning the past, present, and future of Kokomo, the city of firsts, and Indiana's 13th largest city. Our show's executive producer is Clarence Boone, with help from WFHB News Department Director Wes Martin. Our board engineering team is Jim Thrasher and Kirsten Payton. Our original theme music was created by Jamel Ifiam, with additional background tracks by David Baker. For WFHB, I'm Leela Randall. I'm William Hosea. As always, tune in next Monday, October 2nd at 6 p.m. for another exciting Bring It On broadcast. You've been listening to Bring It On, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Bring It On is your forum for open dialogue on the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American community in South Central Indiana and beyond. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Bring It On staff. The email address is bringit at wfhb.org. That's bringit at wfhb.org.